Good morning. And aren't you thankful that he does not change? And as the word says, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So no matter what comes in the curve, he's in the curve. Just one, one announcement I need to make. Ladies' uh, conference is coming up, and the sign-up uh, for that is out in the foyer. And then um, the ladies' Bible study sign-up is also out there. And the last day to get your T-shirt, ladies, for the conference is Wednesday, January 2nd. So you make sure that you see the sign-ups out back, and you can also go to Facebook to sign up for that as well. It's good to know there are a lot of things coming up in this new year um, in terms of um, ministry that... I think makes a, a huge difference in the lives of um, all the ones who are exposed, like, for example, Awana and youth ministry. But thinking about the ladies and the ladies' conference, I know there are so many uh, ladies that look forward to that, impacted by that ministry. Uh, we thank uh, Pam and Christy for, for heading that up. Uh, they do a tremendous job uh, with that. We praise the Lord for them. We don't take our laborers uh, for granted. And so, so thankful for them. Look forward, I think the youth have a disciple now coming up, and that's where some of the youth will invade your homes. Won't that be nice, especially those that, of you that do not have children in the home any longer. Now you get some, right? And they might like it so much they just want to stay. You never know, all right? It's good to see everyone this morning, and we want to begin our time with a word of prayer. And so I'm going to ask that you would stand. Let's have a prayer together uh, this morning. So, Lord, every day we're reminded of your goodness to us. I was thinking this last week that there are so many ways in which you are good to me that I am unaware of. The things that just happen that, um, Lord, go on in my day, the things you keep me from that I just have no idea about. You are an amazing God. There is no way we can thank you enough for the change that you have made in our lives if we are a believer in you today. Lord, um, not too many more days in 2018. We don't know you may come before 2019. That would be wonderful. Uh, but if you don't, as we enter into 2019... Lord, I just pray we would remain steady, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain. Because we have a hope, a hope that's different from the world. The world is a hope so. Ours is a hope with confidence. Confidence in who you are and what you have done for us the security that we have in knowing Christ, being sealed by the Spirit, and looking forward to that day when our Lord and our Savior comes for us in the clouds. Oh, what a day that will be. And so until that time, I pray that we would remain faithful, faithful followers, so that when people see us, they see you. And they ask us questions like, what's different in your life? And the answer is Jesus Christ. And you have made all the difference 
in our lives, those of us who know you. And so this morning, we want to give you praise and honor because you're the only one worthy of that. And so I pray that we're ready for this morning, that we're awake and we're alert, and that we um, have prepared ourselves for this hour together. In the name of Christ, amen. Jesus, you are the truth. This 
ago talked about how God is unchanging that's that he's the same yesterday and today and forever and um, if he changed our salvation wouldn't be secure right he could change his mind and thank God he doesn't because if I was looking at me I would probably change my mind but praise God he's, he's not like us he's holy he's set apart he's immutable 
He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's sovereign. He's also loving and kind and good. So let's just continue to lift high the name of the Lord this morning.
Praise the Lord. Y'all can have a seat. This morning, uh, If I Stand by Rich Mullins. And um, this song has meant so much to me um, for so many years. I remember the first time I heard it was, uh, many of you know, when I was 20, uh, my older brother David uh, had a motorcycle accident and went to be with the Lord. And uh, going through his stuff in the days after his death, I was going through a CD collection, and he had a Rich Mullins CD in there. And, um, I remember just sitting on my bed and listening to the whole thing. And um, This song was, was one of the songs on that CD, and it just really spoke to my heart then and has spoke to my heart ever since. It's one of those songs that I can just sit down at any point, no matter what is going on in my life, and it, it ministers to me. It just centers me. It centers me on God. One of the, the main lines in the song is that the stuff of earth competes with the allegiance that we owe only to the giver of all, all good things. You know, Christmas is not the only time that we struggle with that, that we struggle with the stuff of earth competing for the allegiance that we owe to God. Um, it's every moment of every day that that battle is going on. And I pray that, that God wins out in the end in our hearts and that we, as Thad said, he's the only one that's worthy. He's the only one that's worthy of our time, of our affection, of our praise. And so I hope this song ministers to you this morning. And there's more that rises in the morning than the sun And more that shines in the night than just the moon There's more than just this fire here that keeps me warm In a shelter that is larger than this room There's a loyalty that's deeper than mere sentiment And a music higher than the songs that I can sing The stuff of earth competes with the allegiance I owe only to the giver of all good things So if I stand, let me stand on the promise that you pull me through. And if I can't, let me fall on the grace that first brought me to you. And if I sing, let me sing for the joy that is born in me, these songs. And if I weep, let it be as a man who is longing for his home. And there's more the dances on the prairies than the and more the pulses in the ocean than the tide. 
There's a love that is fiercer than the love between friends More gentle than a mother's when there's a baby at her side And there's a loyalty that's deeper than mere sentiment And a music higher than the songs that I can sing The stuff of earth competes with the allegiance I only to the giver of all good things So if I stand, let me stand on the promise That you pull me through And if I can't, let me fall on the grace That first brought me to you And if I sing, let me sing for the joy that is born in me these souls. And if I weep, let it be as a man who is longing for his own. And if I stand, let me stand on the promise that you Thank you, Joe. We appreciate that. Um, it's a ministry. We appreciate your ministry and the ministry of the praise team and um, all that they do here in Grace. I know oftentimes I mention, you know, all the different components, and I just so appreciate the labor, um, steadfast labor of the praise team, and I know they pray a lot about the message in terms of what's going to be said and how the Lord might lead in terms of the songs. And, and uh, you don't find very often guys that are interested in, in that and take it in that way. A lot of the times, unfortunately, uh, you have performances. And I can say that um, these guys are not about that. They're about worshiping the Lord. And I really appreciate that. Well... So we're in this series, right, on changed lives, and I was like, well, they're going to be expecting a New Year's message, whatever that means, but they're not going to get it. <laughs> they're going to get what the Lord shown me, and I couldn't get away from the shepherd, so go to Luke 2. I want to show you some different things about these guys that obviously changed them. I mean, it was... 
a scene that really is indescribable. I mean, we have the, the scene before us in Luke 2, and we're given the words, but, I mean, how do you describe what they saw? Um, it's interesting to me that although the scene is, like, indescribable, that's not the focus of the shepherds. That seems to be odd to me. Because, like, when I go to, um, I've been to the Grand Canyon, and I remember walking out and looking at the Grand Canyon and going, wow, that's really big. That's a big hole, really big hole. And um, I've been to Niagara Falls a few times. Um, when we lived in New York State, Teresa liked driving over to Niagara Falls. We went one time, and then we went the second time, and then we went the third time. I'm not sure how many times we went. But every single time, it was like, wow. Um, can you imagine what it must have been like for the shepherds to see all the army of angels? Wow. But it's interesting to me that that doesn't seem to be the focus. The focus is not on the wow, but the who. <laughs> it's on the message, and that kind of strikes me. I'm like, wow, you know, for me, I mean, I probably would have been going, wow. And I'm not saying they didn't. I'm sure they were overcome by what they saw, but... More so, they were overcome by the message. I think there's a lot of good instruction for that in us. That we don't need to be overcome by the wow, but the who. It's about Christ. And so I want to share some thoughts with you. I've increased the outline that you had from last week. So if you kept last week's outline, you're good for most of it. But then when you get to the end, you're not going to be good. Um, these guys have been described by theologians as dirty, lowly, outcast, smelly, yet they were the first to hear the good news, the first. Um, look at, with me at Luke 2, we're going to pick it up in verse 8, verse 8, I want you to see this, it says, and in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields. And keeping watch over their flock by night. You know, the first thing that came to my mind when I was studying this passage is that it says they were staying out in the fields. That was where they were living. They had responsibility. Their responsibility was for the flock. And their responsibility was to watch over, to guard, to protect the flock. And I started thinking, you know... You look further in the New Testament, and that's the responsibility of the elders. The elders have the responsibility to guard and protect the flock. And we need to be ever mindful of that as elders. I'm just speaking to the elders right now. Ever mindful of that as elders. And if, if the Lord puts that desire on you as a young man, and one day you become an elder... You know, one of the, the great things that you will do is protect and guard the flock. It's a responsibility that we have, and especially in the day and time we live in, where so much is acceptable outside of true biblical Christianity that um, we need discerning elders, elders that are able to discern the truth of God's word from error. So it says, in the same region, region meaning there Bethlehem, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. 
And in the Greek, it means they were really, 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 really frightened. Do you get that? Really terrified. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid, which is a phrase that occurs over 100 times in Scripture. For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, and literally thousands and thousands here, that's the picture in the Greek, thousands and thousands and thousands of angels. It says, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And so we have the picture here, the story here of what took place out in the fields as they're keeping watch over their flock by night. And I'm, there's some questions I have about this particular passage because I want to focus this morning on the response that the shepherds had in 15 to 20. But I have some things that for me I'm... Like, why were they chosen to hear the good news first? Does that make any sense, right? You think, well, it's the religious elite. They're the ones that need to hear the news first. But they weren't. It was these lowly, disgusting, stinky, smelly dudes. I have a thought I just wanted to share with you on why they might have been chosen first. and Not necessarily any biblical evidence, but... I just had a thought, so I just, sometimes I want to share my thoughts with you, and since nobody was in the office but me, there was no one else to share the thoughts with, so I thought, well, I'm going to share them with you. So I thought, well, they're shepherds. The Lord is called the what? The good shepherd. And I thought, well, some theologians believe that these shepherds could have been guarding the Passover lambs, which took my mind immediately to John the Baptist's introduction of the Lord Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 29, in which he says what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I thought, well, maybe there's some connection there. I don't know. But my mind went to all those different points. Secondly, how many shepherds were watching the flock? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us how many there were. Three, 23, I doubt it. But I don't know how many. The Bible doesn't tell us. You know, it's funny to me when, when we study, sometimes our focus is not necessarily where it should be. We're, we're trying to, you know, well, hey, how many shepherds were there? And you got all these different things you talk about, and you're like, hey, that's not the point. The point is, right, that the Lord spoke to these guys. That's the point. And the point is what was said to these guys, not how many were watching over the flock. But I'm curious to know. Um, third, did all the shepherds abandon the sheep? I mentioned that last week. Did they all just say, hey, look, see ya? Or did they draw straws? How'd that work? Because the Bible tells us that they go to Bethlehem. 
Um, I wanted to go through just kind of uh, three points, I think, for you in your outline. The first is that they went to see the Messiah. Notice this in verse 15. They go to see the Messiah. Um, And it's interesting to me, the first thing I see is that there seemed to be an immediate response on the part of the shepherds to the message. Notice verse 15, and it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven. So there doesn't seem to be this enormous amount of time that goes by. In fact, it almost seems to be immediate. The Bible says that the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So their response seems to be an immediate response. It reminded me of when the Lord Jesus um, calls out his disciples, those first disciples. And he says, hey, look, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And what do they do? They drop it and they go, right? I mean, the response to, the, to, to this message here, it seems to be immediate. The response of, of the disciples seems to be immediate. You go to Abraham in Genesis, and the Lord tells him to leave. And what does he do? The next, the next phrase says he what? He left. You know, sometimes people's obedience is a head-scratcher for us. We're like, what is going on here? But what's unique in this particular passage is that there doesn't seem to be a command to go. I mean, unless you can see it, I don't see it. And I'm willing to be corrected, but I don't see the command to go, but I see the assumption that they would go. You look at verse 12. And this will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. So there seems to be an assumption these guys are going. But there doesn't seem to be a command there. Well, verse 15 also tells us there seems to be a tremendous focus on their part. Notice he says, let us go straight to, straight to Bethlehem. Um, there's no side trips for these guys. You know, they're not going to Taco Bell, to the drive-thru, right? They're not doing that. By the way, Taco Bell, the new one's open. Just in case you wanted to know that, it's right down the street. All the staff knows it, now you know it. But there's no side trips for these guys. The Bible says, they said, let us go straight to Bethlehem then. Hey, we got this message, let us go. And again, I say, man, it just doesn't seem to be about the scene. It seems to be about the message. There seemed to be a tremendous focus. I think it's a good, good thought for us that when it comes to the Lord Jesus, there needs to be a tremendous focus in our lives as well. There seems to be a measure of faith implied here in the text. Notice at the end of verse 15, let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened. But they're not questioning whether it's happened. They seem to believe that it's happening. That's happened. There's a measure of faith that seems to be implied in the text in verse 15. And then fourthly, the shepherd's faith was anchored in the Lord. Notice at the end of 15. Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which who? The Lord has made known to us. So their faith seems to be anchored in the Lord. And immediately I began to think about my own faith and I began to think about your faith. And I begin to think, hey, this is a good question. Is your faith anchored in the Lord? <laughs> is it anchored in the Lord? 
is what you believe, right? You believe because the Word of God says it. The Lord has said it. Or do you believe it? Or is it anchored in someone outside of the Lord? You know, do you believe because so-and-so believes? Or your neighbor believes? Or your friend believes? Or is your faith anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ? I trust that your faith is anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, they went to see the Messiah. And secondly, we see they witnessed to others. They witnessed to others. Look at verse, uh, verses 16 through 18. Let's read that together. Notice what it says. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. So there wasn't any wasted time here. All right. Um, I'm curious. I wonder how long it took them. You know, how long did it take them to find the Messiah? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But verse 16 does tell us that they saw the baby as he lay in the manger. A manger there could be translated feeding trough. I mean, he wasn't exactly staying at the Hilton. All right, this was the feeding trough. And so the Bible tells us in verse 16 that they saw the Messiah. And then the Bible tells us in 17 and 18, they became witnesses concerning the Messiah. Look at verse 17. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. They became witnesses. Incidentally, the first witnesses. The first ones. Do you know what that word witness means? If you go to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and the Lord Jesus tells his disciples, you shall be my witnesses. You know what that word means? We get the word martyr. Right? From that word. You shall be my witnesses. That's what Jesus told the disciples. These guys were witnesses. They were witnesses of what was said. And what was said? Well, you back up in verse 11. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so they became witnesses of what was told to them. Verse 17 tells us. Verse 18 we have a response. Look at this. And all who heard it wondered. That little word, it, is really important. All who heard it. What is it? Class? It refers to what? The message about Christ. That's right. So, all who heard it, meaning the message... That there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, wondered. And that word wondered means marveled. They were overcome, is the idea, at the things which were told them by the shepherds. So they became witnesses, and their audience, while it's not identified, it is certain that their message was about the Christ who was born, the Messiah. Um, so they became witnesses. Thirdly, and this is where I want to spend a good bit of time uh, this morning. They worshiped God. So you have the response by these guys. Now remember, these are just shepherds. And they're out in the fields, and they're keeping watch over their flock. They're minding their own business. And all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appears to them. Wow. <laughs> and he doesn't just appear to them, but he gives them a message. A Savior has been born for you who is Christ the Lord. And then there appears this whole heavenly host of angels praising God. 
And then there's the response by the shepherds. They go to Bethlehem. They become witnesses of this message that they've heard. But then verse 20 tells us that they worship God. Notice this. And the shepherds went back. I thought that was an interesting little phrase there. They went back. They went back to where they were. Glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen just as had been told them. These two words here are very important words. And I wanted to spend a little bit of time on this this morning because we hit a little bit of the other last week. But we really didn't hit verse 20 hard. And I wanted to do that. Because the response of the shepherds is not just that they, they, they spoke the message. But the response of the shepherds is that they went back glorifying and praising God. And we look at those words and we're like, okay, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to glorify God and what does it mean to praise God? I'm glad you asked the question. Glorifying God. In the Greek language, the idea of glorifying God is to bring honor to him. It's to bring honor to him. Now, if I was to ask you the question, how many of you want to bring honor to God? Well, I would suspect most people in here would raise their hands. Let me give you some practical, a practical passage that speaks about a way we can glorify God, bring honor to him. Go in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians in chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6. You know, because sometimes I think we look at these words and we're like, well, what in the world does that mean? What does it mean to glorify God? What does it mean to praise God? And, and I'm hoping that this morning I'll be able to answer that for you. And maybe that can be your landing zone and my landing zone in 2019. That in 2019, our focus will be on glorifying God and praising God. And I'm not saying it hadn't been in 2018. But just think, imagine if our focus was specifically on these two particular words. So the word glorifying has the idea of bringing honor to him. 1 Corinthians 6, well, how do we do that? One very practical way that we honor God or glorify God is how we handle our bodies. Now, that gets a little personal, doesn't it? Right, class? That gets a little personal. And you're like, hey, Thad, that's none of your business. Well, you know what? You might be right. But it is God's business. He cares about how we handle our bodies. Young people, please listen to this. If you listen to nothing else this morning, please tune in. Because there's a message out there in Christendom even that says, hey, I've got my plane ticket to heaven. How I behave doesn't matter. Might I say, that is a lie from hell. Matters. I mean, I believe God cares. Because the Bible says he cares. Not because a pastor says he cares. The Bible says God cares. So much of the message today for our young people, it is, it is your body, do with it as you please. It doesn't matter, right? Anything else doesn't matter. And I'm talking about, listen to me, I'm talking about people who are saved, who are telling young people today, it doesn't matter your, your sexual preference. That doesn't matter. All that matters is 
that you're saved. Not true. It matters that you're saved, but God cares about how you handle your body. Notice what it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. What does that first phrase say? You can speak out loud. Flee immorality. Run away. Man, we have an example of a dude who did that. Remember Joseph? The Bible says he didn't just run one day, he ran every day. I think it's a great picture for us to have. Because we have to run every day from immorality. You say, ain't that, but I'm not like that. Well, you could be like that. Right? Temptation's real. Every day it's in front of us. Paul says, flee immorality. Run away from it. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. And then he says, or do you not know? In other words, hey, listen up. Do you not know, now look at this, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. That's kind of heavy. Guys, listen. That means this every single day that I go out, I am representing, right, the Lord. And I need to be careful what goes on with his body. Notice he says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is where? Where is he? He's in you. That means where he is, right? Where you are, he is. He's a temple, a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. And Paul emphasizes the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 1. I encourage you this afternoon when you have nothing to do, read Ephesians 1. 13 and 14 tell us about the ministry of the Holy Spirit as it relates to salvation. And then you go to Ephesians 5 and it tells us the importance of being filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Notice he says, who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. Uh-oh. That's a problem. Uh-oh. What does that mean? It means this, verse 20, for you have been bought with a price. There's the connection there. You have been bought with a price. The price was what? The precious blood of the Lord Jesus. He says, therefore, glorify God in your body. So that's the idea. That's one of the, the ways that we can glorify God is glorifying God in our body. So we use the old little song that the kids sang, be careful little eyes what you see. And be careful little hands what you touch. And be careful little feet where you go. Guys, it matters. So that's one practical way that we can glorify the Lord. We pay attention to our bodies and we need to honor the Lord in our bodies. 
So you go this afternoon, get your strongest concordance, look up the word glorify, and then you can have your own little study. Second word that is used here in Luke chapter 2, so go back to Luke 2. Second word that's used here in Luke 2 is the word praising. The Bible says the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen just as had been told them. The focus of praising God is declaring how great he is. Hey, guys, we did that this morning in song. It's okay if you clap. We did that this morning in song. I don't think Joe heard me, but on that second song, I can't remember the title of it, but I was like, sing it. That meant sing it again, Joe. It was good. I wanted to sing it again. So it's declaring how great he is. It is giving thanks to him for some benefit or benefits. Oh man, this is good. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 145, verses 3 and 4. Let me give this to you. Psalm 145, verses 3 and 4. Well, we'll just start in verse 1. I will extol thee, my God, O King. I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day I will bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Look at verse 3. Great is the Lord, and highly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. Now I like verse 4. Because verse 4 gives some responsibility to the declaration of verse 3. Look at verse 4. One generation shall sit on the couch and say nothing about the Lord. Is that what it says? No. It says, one generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts, which Israel was expected to do, Deuteronomy 6. They were expected to teach their children, right? Wherever they were, all the time. Parents might say, I'm tired of teaching my kids. They just won't listen. Keep teaching them. Keep on. You're like, but they're not listening. Keep teaching them. Keep praying with them. Keep reading with them. Keep on, keep on, keep on until they start pulling their hair out. That is your kids. Keep on. One generation shall praise you, right? Shall declare your mighty works to another. So if I was to say older people today that are my age and older, declare the mighty works of God. What have you seen in your life? What has God done in your life? Would you be able to stand up and say, young people, listen to me. God is faithful. He's faithful. And there were times in my life where I was going, oh, I don't know if he's faithful. But he proved himself to be faithful over and over and over again. And young people, I want to share with you what happened in my life. Right, I'm thinking, man, if I was in that generation of folks in Israel that crossed the Red Sea, dude, I'd have had to be saying something. Right? You 
know, the best way, I think one of the best ways we can minister to our young people in our families first is to declare what God has done in our lives. And do you know, guys, listen, those scenes aren't always pleasant. They aren't. Our kids need to know, hey, man, the Christian life's hard. It's difficult. Sometimes you feel like you're rowing against the current. It's tough. But he's in the current. He's there. <laughs> uh, the disciples found that out, right, when he was sleeping in the back of the boat. And they're like, man, what's the dude doing? Does he not know that a storm is going on? Wouldn't it have been awesome to be those guys when he said, hush, be still? Oh, my goodness gracious. Go to Psalm 103. Let me show you the second part of that definition. So declaring how great he is and then giving thanks to him for some benefits. And this immediately took me, when I was doing this work today, immediately took me to, to Psalm 103. The first five verses. Whenever you go apply for a job as a young man or a young lady, one of the discussions that you'll have at some point in time potentially is what are the benefits? There are so many benefits to belonging to the Lord. Okay, I got another assignment for you this afternoon. So when you're done studying that word, glorifying, right? Put at the top of the page all the many blessings, right? Title it, Blessings I Have in Knowing the Lord. And list all those blessings, all those benefits. There are so many. The psalmist says, chapter uh, 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget None of his benefits. In other words, we can forget. But we shouldn't. <laughs> Are you forgetful? Any of you forgetful in this place? You know I can walk from my office to the front desk to tell one of the secretaries something and it's gone. You said, that's just old age. Well, whatever you want to call it, I forget. I was saved when I was seven years old. I didn't begin to understand all the benefits until I was in my 20s. Man, there's so many benefits in knowing the Lord. Notice what he says. Forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. <laughs> the psalmist said, hey, don't forget. Don't forget. There are many benefits to knowing the Lord. Well, I got some extra points for you. I got to study, and you know, these shepherds go back glorifying and praising the Lord. So I did a Hebrew word study on praising. Is that okay? And um, there are seven words. I'm not going to give you all seven because I want you to have something to do. 
All right, this afternoon for your third assignment. So there are seven words, Hebrew words, for praise. There are three of them I kind of wanted to mention to you this morning. The first one is the word halal. Our word hallelujah comes from this word. Now look, look what it means. It means to boast or to celebrate. Well, the Bible tells, tells us that let him who boasts, boast in who? The Lord. It means to boast or to celebrate. Now listen, my friends. I know you guys pretty well. And most of you guys in this room are Alabama and Auburn fans. And whenever one of your teams wins, do you have a problem celebrating? No. I mean, Auburn put a pounding on Purdue. I can imagine all the Auburn fans here, woo! Right? In case you wanted to know, my hogs didn't make it to anything this year. They were at home watching like I was. And then last night, Alabama. There's <laughs> some response, right? You, were you guys, were you Alabama fans celebrating last night? Okay, you can do better than that. Were you? And I'm thinking, <laughs> I didn't ask you, Jim. I'm thinking, hey, look, I got no problem celebrating when my team wins. In fact, in 1980, I believe it was 1980, U.S. Reed hit a shot from half court to beat Louisville. Now, U.S. Reed played for the Hogs, just in case you wanted to know. And my dad had just added on this room. It was kind of like a den. And we had a drop ceiling in it. It was a pretty low ceiling. And when U.S. Reed hit that shot from half court, do you know what I did? I celebrated. And I was like, yeah! And I put a hole... In one of the tiles. I'm thinking, man, we sure do in this culture find a lot of reasons to celebrate. Let's celebrate the Lord. Let's celebrate Him. Because there's a lot to celebrate about Him. First of all, just who He is. He is like no one else. You'll have to look up Psalm 152 through 4 this afternoon. Second, I just like the way this word sounds, yada. It's like a good southern term, yada. All right? Now, look at what this means. It means to extend the hand. Everybody extend your hand. Extend one hand. Come on, it'll be okay. You're all right. Extend it. That means all the way out. Extend it. Extend the hand or hands like you got... Guys, how many of you are blessed to have two hands? It means to extend the hand or hands, to lift up a hand or hands. Oh, no! We're in the South. And there's been controversy about that in years past. There shouldn't be. The issue in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 is lifting up holy hands. Hey, look, when these guys were singing this morning, we were blessing the name of the Lord. I mean, I was up there doing this. I didn't have my hands extended. 
But you know, the one that knows your heart on why you're extending the hand is the Lord. I remember growing up, and man, I, we, were, we were like, you know, basically you just kind of sat in your seat and worshiped the Lord. I think there's balance. And the balance is this, that we do everything unto the Lord. There's nothing wrong with lifting up a holy hand to God. If you're praising God. Now, if you're wanting attention from man, that's a problem. That's not what it's about. And it's certainly not about the person who's sitting in the back, watching the one in the front hold up hands, and the person in the back says to his neighbor or her neighbor, Hey, do you see them holding up their hand? Praise God they're doing that. Oh, my goodness. Remember the first time I was exposed to that on a regular basis was up in New York at Berean. And I remember the first time, because I came from a conservative background. I mean, conservative. And first time I saw this lady lifting up her hands to the Lord, I was like, whoa. You know what? That lady lifting up her hands is between her and the Lord. It's obvious in the Bible. I gave you a couple of, there's more. The Lord expects us to lift up hands to Him. He's worthy of that. My goodness, who created our hands? He did. All right, well... Last one, Zamar. <laughs> How you do that, Jeff? Huh? Now, Zamar means, hold on, I know how to do this. All right. Enough of that. I'm so glad the Lord just had it and praise team was doing today. It worked out great. It means to pluck the strings of an instrument. Sometimes in churches, it happens this way, that people are focused on the instruments and maybe they don't know the heart of the one playing the instrument. Because you know, I would say this, that these guys that are up here, whether it's the piano, is that a keyboard? Is that what that's called? The keyboard, the guitar, the drums, they're playing as to the Lord. Right? But do you know what happens in churches sometimes? The focus is on what's being played. Not on what's being done, which is worship. It also means to sing. I want to take you to one passage. I'm going to give you three things to leave with. Go to 1 Chronicles. Dust off 1 Chronicles. 
Well, that's in the Old Testament. Chapter 16, verses 8 and 9. I just wanted to read those. Again, in verse 7, it says, And then on that day, David first assigned Asaph and his relatives to give thanks to the Lord. This is what it says. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, sing to him, uh-oh, sing to him. See, we're singing to him. Sing praises to him. Speak all his wonders. So the word can refer to an instrument or it can refer to singing. We sing to him. We play the instrument to him. I can't play an instrument. But if I could play an instrument, I would play the instrument to him. That's the idea of these words. There's four others. By the way, whenever you study it, you're going to find I almost put this one in, but because of, I just thought maybe it'd be too much for this morning. But you know, one of them means to shout. Means to shout. Amen. 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 Means to shout. How many of you shouted last night? How many of you shouted two or three days ago whenever Auburn played? Yeah, you did. You shout. We sing this song, shout to the Lord, right? All the earth, let us sing. Right? We shout to him. All right, well, I got to give you some to go home because you're probably wanting to do that sometime today. Three things, God's ways are not man's ways. We wouldn't have picked the shepherds. He did. We wouldn't have picked those disciples. He did. God's ways are not man's ways. Second, let's not keep the message to ourselves. I got to tell you this. I ran across this illustration of D.L. Moody. I thought it was really fantastic. So I'm going to share the story with you. He was introduced to the gospel by a man named Edward Kimball. Years later, after the conversion of Moody, he's preaching. He's in Boston. And after one of the services, a young man comes up to Moody, introduces himself to Moody, and he says, I am the son of Ed Kimball. So you know what Moody does? He doesn't engage him on the pleasantries of knowing Ed or whatever. Immediately, Mr. Moody looks at the young man who's 17 years old and says, Are you a Christian? To which the young man responded, No, sir, I am not. So you know what Moody did? He didn't keep the message to himself. You know what he did? He shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with Ed Kimbrell's son. Several weeks later, Moody got a letter from this young man who came to know the Lord Jesus as his Savior. (laughs) Imagine this. Imagine if all that discussion was just about his father 
and it never got to the gospel. He did not assume that just because he was the son of Ed Kimbrell that he was saved. Man, that hit me like right between the eyes. I'm like, man, Lord, I need to make no assumptions. I need to share the gospel. Well, then the last one. Worship of God is not confined to a building. So maybe in 2019, one of the things we ought to think about is, Lord, I can worship you when I'm driving, just I'm not going to close my eyes, but I can worship you, right, wherever I am, whether I'm at work, whether I'm at play, whether I'm at school, I can worship you. I like, I ran across several quotes on worship, and the one I picked was kind of weird. That's just me, I'm kind of weird. I picked it, and I thought, man, this is really interesting, and I like, the, I like what A.W. Tozer says, because he kind of puts some order to this idea of, of worship. He says, we are to be worshipers first, and workers second. And that caught my eye, I was like, hey, I gotta keep reading this. He says, we take a new convert and immediately make them a worker. He says, God never meant it to be that way. God meant it that a convert should learn to be a worshiper and after that, a worker. You know what my thought was on that? If I'm a worshiper of the Lord, I will be a laborer of the Lord. Let's pray together. So Lord, there's just a lot to think about. When we look at this scene outside of Bethlehem, and we see these guys that definitely were changed. <laughs> they went from watching over a flock to telling all the people about the message of a Savior who was born, who is Christ the Lord. And I, as I was thinking and meditating on this, I was like, you know, Lord, while I wasn't there in that field, I have been saved. And I have a message to tell that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. And that it's by faith in Him and Him alone and what He's done for us on the cross at Calvary that pronounces that I'm a believer. Lord, I pray that in the days ahead, if you don't come, that as we flip the calendar to 2019, that witnessing and worship won't be secondary in our lives, but primary in our lives. And I believe that if we will, as believers, focus on the worship piece, the witnessing's going to come. We can't hold it in. We're so excited about the changes that have been made in our lives by you. And so, Lord, I just commit all of us, everyone in this place, help us to be worshipers of you. And as we worship, we'll find ourselves laboring for you. 
because we love you and because we realize all the many blessings and benefits that we have in knowing you. We pray for those here this morning that may not know you, Lord, that they would come to know you. That they would enter into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And for the opportunities that are ahead of us as believers, I pray that we would celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And just as D.L. Moody did not assume the salvation of Ed Kimbrell's son, that we would not assume the salvation of any man but that we would always share the gospel. And as I study the New Testament, that's what happened. Paul witnessed to the Christians he wrote to. <laughs> he shared the gospel. And even at the end of 2 Corinthians, to a group of people who had it kind of tough, I mean, they were quite the group. He says, examine yourselves. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. And so, Lord... Help us by your spirit. We thank you that we don't have to do this alone. It's not our efforts. It's your spirit working through us, using us. Help us to be sensitive to the spirit of God. And all this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we worship the Lord.
coming that could be today that'd be all right with you whoa that'd be all right with you all right just making sure there right shout um we have some visitors from the philippines here today (laughs) all right well let's pray together and we'll be dismissed what a glorious day it will be lord That scene in Luke 2 was amazing, but I can't imagine what it's going to be like when you come. But I know your word tells us that when you come, we will forever be with you. Never leave your presence. Thank you for that. I pray that we would honor you and glorify you. Praise your name. You are the only one worthy of praise. So we give you this day and... Pray all this in the name of Christ and for his sake. Amen.